And on today's episode, I talk with the co-founder of The Machine, Kevin Herrera. Kevin left his job at Gersh, one of the top talent agencies in the world, to co-found a new company, The Machine, focused on the future of digital entertainment and new approaches to brand partnerships. We talk about content marketing, Star Wars, influencers, and how brands need to look at marketing from a different perspective. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of the Super Tight Podcast. Y'all. Super Tight. Is that an aloe vera plant? I don't know what the hell that is. It's a, it looks it's a, like aloe vera. I think it's a succulent from Walmart. Okay. <laughs> it's Ooh. beautiful. It's real though. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> have you seen Google now has Google Lens and you can click on an image search and it like populates the image instantaneously you can see what's in the image to buy it no it's bonkers wait Found say that yesterday. again so you go <clears throat> type in like um um Shirley's Theron red carpet and then yeah. in the background <clears throat> there's somebody holding like a jack-in-the-box cup or something if I'm, I'm making this up but it searches the image and instantaneously it'll pop up like what dress she's wearing what earring she's wearing what um the jack-in-the-box thing will be registered and it'll pop up jack-in-the-box and you can like purchase shit and if there's nothing to buy then you can um you can look at more pictures of that person is that on instagram or is that just it's google it's just google yeah it's like using its ai (laughs) thing it's scary how it's instant it's like really yeah and what, what's, it, it what's the it. application? Is that like you search for an image on Google and then it yeah. scrubs it? I was just mobile. Yeah, mobile, Google search. I was looking for a, a gift to like send to a friend goofily. And then I went to image. I was looking for actually Dr. Dre because I was like, I want to look like Dr. Dre. <laughs> you know, in that black shirt where he's like just totally yoked. And this is the physique that I want. <laughs> yeah. I was like, yo, this is what I want to look like. And I clicked on Google Lens by mistake. And I think they made the little bug to make it look clickable so I click on it and then it showed me his shirt and where I could buy it and I was like whoa that's awesome yeah and then I did a bunch of other searches and was like okay this is terrifying but it's great does it know that you're not the same size as Dr. Dre I don't know <laughs> I don't know I, Dr. Dre is extra I'm large huge. and he's been working out for two years <laughs> and you are probably a smedium a smedium <laughs> thank you thank you yes for all those not watching the video uh, yeah, I am jacked if you're not watching the video I'm huge massive um <laughs> Kevin, consumer valued content. Yes, sir. I want to get straight into it because this is like, this is something that we nerd out about all the time. Uh, so, can you explain what that is and how you came up with it? Yeah, totally. It's um, content intrinsically valued uh, by and uh, brands or financiers or whoever's making the content's core consumer. So that's why we call it consumer valued content. It's what is going to replace television commercials over the next five years. Uh, we were looking at the marketplace, my business partner and I, and he comes from the maker world, uh, the company that sold to Disney for a bunch of money, and uh, from all the way from the apartment when they first started making content all the way to the sale of it. And so he saw this massive beast grow, and he saw the good and the bad of it, and what that company was based around was they made branded integrations a thing. Like Branded integrations really started with them yeah. and then proliferated through the industry. And so we're looking at what's coming up next and where are the pain points of the industry. And we realize there's massive bloat in entertainment production and on the entertainment side and there's massive bloat on the marketing side. And they can't speak to each other. Everyone's been trying to make content together for a very long time, but they just don't know how to translate. So we're like, what is gonna, what's a way to encapsulate what this thing is that we're thinking about, which is there's all of these platforms, there's all of these points to access content. There's so much content. It's the golden age of television. It's um, you know peak TV. There's so you can't watch every show. If you watched every show your friends liked, you would never go outside. <laughs> you know. So how do you cut through that clutter? And how do you make as a brand or as somebody that wants to get their things seen, even for filmmakers that we represent or like writer producers? How do I get my things seen is a huge question that a lot of people have. And the way to do that is to use 
the different pieces of the market in the right way, yeah. the right platforms in the right way. You know, Instagram is meant for a certain demographic and it's meant for a certain type of content. And I think the mistake that a lot of brands and people make is they just throw stuff up and just think, oh, I'm making content so people will like it. But Absolutely. It, and no thought or heart and soul is put into it. <laughs> yeah. It's just like that's the whole corporate like, like just gray, like not doing anything. Yeah. But if you look at your consumer and you say, what are they going to love? What is going to just blow their mind? Whatever that consumer is and you get them that content, they're going to share it with mm-hmm. other people that are going to have their mind blown too. Absolutely. It's the example I use, which is kind of a bad example if you're like a super clean brand, is um, Netflix and Hulu. Netflix was the color red was their brand for a while, and then House of Cards comes out, and then Stranger Things comes out, and then now they're like this, they're winning Oscars and Emmys, and just boom, and now it's just building. Hulu was green for the longest time, at least in my mind, yeah. until Handmaid's Tale came out, and then it was like, whoa, what's up? That audience valued that content at a very high level. Told everybody to watch it. Everybody subscribers start going and yeah. coming in. They're making more money. If you're a brand selling a product, don't put your messaging in there. Just find out what your audience cares about and get it out there. And there's examples of it throughout the internet. Uh, I've been hashtagging the stuff on LinkedIn so that people could kind of see the trajectory of it and how it's the industry starting to finally come around to it. But Nike did one recently that I thought was amazing. Did you see the one with the um, the female athletes? And that coaches? was recent. That was like two days ago. Yeah, yeah I did see it. I was that's totally. tugging on heartstrings. Boom, just tugging on heartstrings. Yeah, and the Med Men one, Spike Jones did. I didn't see it's, that one. It's two minutes. It's starring an actor. I don't know his name, but I should because he's really talented. But it starts out with George Washington growing hemp all the way through to today where like it's oh, normal shit. now. It's not bad. <laughs> it's been bad, but it's not. And it's not done in like a goofy, like winky way. It's done in a like, this is modern time. And yeah. It pulls you, you know? So interesting. I feel like I'm in the demo. If I'm in my 30s, you know, young professional. They yeah. think they want it to be normal. So. It spoke to me. But. So it's like influencer marketing on steroids in a lot of ways. Yeah. Right? Like, mm-hmm. where do you think influencer marketing is going with the way that um, I know that Instagram, you post something, it's not like it used to be. Mm-hmm. You're, all your followers aren't seeing it. They're going to crack down and they're probably going to turn into shit, to be completely honest. <laughs> yeah. Like, Instagram sucks right now. Okay. Uh, another platform will come up. Mm-hmm. Do you think influencer marketing is going to be? Is going to continue to grow, or do you think it's something that is kind of at a point where it's reached a threshold of okay, there's too many motherfuckers out there that <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, are out there doing influencer marketing? Do you mean grow in terms of like money, money and popularity? Like, do you think it's peak right now? Uh, I think it's just starting to be totally honest. Really? Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> just starting because brands are just starting to understand the value of it. And they're mm. figuring out there's going to be uh, a contraction, beca- uh, market correction. You have all of these influencers and their representatives charging astronomical amounts for not astronomical results. And if you go back to the television commercial, the first one that made it, or so the lore says, it was a baseball game. It was a watch commercial, and it was like 200 bucks back then. But then like sales skyrocketed by like thousands of percent for this watch. Mm. And they were like, whoa, this is the thing that works. If you do an Instagram post and it's sponsored, that doesn't happen. Right. At least not yet. No one's cracked that code. And so something we're working on with our clients on the influencer side right now is figuring out what are the KPIs, the key performance indicators for these advertising agencies, for these brands, and how can we make sure that our content we're making is hitting these KPIs and really pushing them hard. And it's not on us at this point. It will be eventually if we transition into being the agency itself, but to know what these KPIs, why they matter, and what the results are going to be from it. Um, and that's something that agencies haven't typically been forthcoming with either. You know, mm-hmm. they're like, get these amount of views, or um, we're going to pay you this amount because we think this is a good CPM. Um, but really, they're targeting like signups or something or something else. And I yeah. think that's a friction point to go specifically into influencer marketing that could be fixed. That would make it easier for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that. It's just scratching the surface because all these brands are starting to come in. They're starting to wise up to how to use it properly, and the spends are just going to change. Whereas somebody that wasn't actually proving results is not going to be making as much. Right. But it's still going to be there. And but companies uh, don't know what they're doing right now. Even though they're uh, yeah. entering the space, like you said, nobody's really cracked the code for it. Mm-hmm. I also think that a lot of companies 
they're trying to appeal to everyone. That's the biggest mistake that everybody makes. 100%. Not realizing that everyone is so niche now that you don't have a type of music you listen to, you don't have a type of movie that you're only into anymore. It's everything. It's yeah. a, it's it's you you can be interested in any little niche pocket. And unless you're Coca-Cola, even if you're Coca-Cola, let's put it this way. Yeah. Um you still are not going to be promoting to woke ass people who only drink water. Like you were just saying like yeah. I'm on, I'm on a clean diet right now, yeah. I'm only drinking water. Yeah. If you see a Coke ad on your Instagram, I'm not gonna drink it. you're not going to be like I'm going to oh. want to, but I'm not going <laughs> to. Maybe tonight, I don't know. Dude, I mean I'm trying, buddy. <laughs> com- companies don't realize that. Mm-hmm. They really want to attack the the larger population when they don't realize that there's millions and millions and millions of people in these tiny demographics. They're just waiting for content. Like you were saying earlier, crafted content for them. Make some cool shit that they like and they love and they will love your brand. They'll be loyal. They'll be so loyal. And they'll share your shit. Yeah. The example that I used, another one that's kind of, it's not right on the nose, but uh, Starbucks, mm. I had, um, if we're going to work with you later, Starbucks, I love you. Uh, <laughs> I had read something somewhere that gave me, so I won't go into specifics, it gave me a negative like, view of Starbucks really? for some reason. And it's just like stuck in my mind. And so I'm on Facebook and a sponsored post hits my uh, feed and it's something, an original by them that is about this athlete who is, uh, he quit the NFL to rehabilitate maimed soldiers. And instantaneously after watching that piece of content and sharing it and blasting it to all my friends, it clicked in my brain. I'm just like, cool, Starbucks is cool. I started going there again. No like, way. It's, yeah. And like, wow. I just think it's a really good example of like, that's how you can do it. I showed it to a class that I was asked to come and talk to. And I said, there's no branding at all in there. And they're like, dude, there's Starbucks cups everywhere. <laughs> so it's not a perfect <laughs> match. Um, and I didn't notice it. I'm like, dang. But even it, so, like, it you got me. Right. You didn't notice it. The class and, did, though. They gave me so people want to just plaster their product all over everything. Yeah. Not realizing that it's, it's not 1994. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Times have changed so much yeah. where we can smell advertising a mile away. Mm-hmm. A mile away, and we're in the older side of the demographic. Yeah. Luckily, we kind of have our toes dipped in both sides. Mm-hmm. But the kids, you know, they they see the Starbucks cups, they see the little tiny fragments of yeah. branding, and they appreciate it that it's not shoved in your face. Mm-hmm. And again, a lot of brands don't know what they're doing when it comes to translating their message to their demographic in that way. It's it's kind of exciting to be in our position because we know what's up. It really is. I, I feel like we know what's up. You probably way more than me, but I it, it really, it really, it, it's a privilege to know where things are going and kind of being ahead of the curve in that respect. It's, it's awesome. exciting. Yeah, and it's all, you know, value is in that word, that category we coined uh, purposely because that's what it, it matters. Like you're not just messaging at people; you're providing them with something. Yeah, like that's. Been doing some deep thinking on just like money and fiscal, you know, capitalism and, and all that stuff with all the things going on politically, and it really comes back down. To, and I read that uh, Hamilton biography that Lin Manuel Miranda made the play off of, and it's insane how that guy set up the system and how we are today and how it's being attacked and battered constantly for decades and you know centuries now, and it's still is wait, what is around. that? I have no idea what you're talking about. Sorry, the financial system that was. Created by Alexander Hamilton yeah. when the country was founded, uh-huh. and just thinking through and seeing how that how it started through this biography is like eight hundred page biography about him to today, and seeing how there's parallels, but also how it's hard to break, and how value is like the currency and the money itself is just a representative of what value you're providing, mm-hmm. and. That's where when brands and ad agencies click and understand that it's not just selling the product is the value anymore. It's not just the messaging to show the value. It's actually providing value to their consumer. That's when with their content, like that's when it's really gonna click yeah. and really come around. And you've got all of these platforms like Roku, Tubi, Pluto, which was just bought by Viacom for millions of dollars. Um, they they need content to to fill their pipeline. Yeah. And if I'm an advertiser, I could either spend 
five million dollars plus you know, that's just for placement on like some <laughs> huge thing, right? Plus money. Yeah. Or I could spend five on an entire season of a show, own the IP, and then use the show to make cut downs or like specific bespoke content for the other platforms and then have influencers pump it out. And now I'm creating culture and I'm denting culture as a brand or as an advertiser that is going to go way beyond making a commercial that plays during the Super Bowl and beyond currency itself, right? It's like it's yeah. like an intrinsic value in your life. It's there. Yeah, it's there for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. And then Seriously. when you're in the store and you're looking at a product and you're like, which one? Oh, they made a really cool show for me. I'm gonna get there. Obviously, stuff. like it's just yeah. I see. Um, I'm not gonna name names, but there's there's a clothing brand on Instagram and uh, a water company. That I that I check out on Instagram, and every single post is their product. Every single post, it's like, "Hey, we're in this clothing. <laughs> hey, we look cool like models, you know. Yeah. No one that we can relate to. Yeah. Uh, and then the water, the water, it's like pictures of the the product on every single slide. It's yeah. like the water bottle in the snow. And the water bottle in the grocery store, and we're eating lunch, and there's a water bottle, and it, it's like, why can't you just produce cool stuff around your product? Because you know, to, we spend so much money on patenting the design of our water bottle. You think so? Need, I mean, I'm just making it up. Or whatever that, the other thing is that they're spending. It could be a reason, on. you know, because yeah. water. Sorry to jump on you, but yeah, like water. It's water. You can get it anywhere. Like it's the genius business model because they just put it in a cool package and then they sell it. And it's the same thing and get everywhere, right? Yeah. But the thing that they have to patent or trademark is like is their bottle. Like the Fiji bottle, it's got to be trademarked. The Dasani oh, bottle, like they're all different, not because it's easier to produce, but because they need it to be different. And so maybe that that brand. Who's whatever, your water? It is. What's your water? What's my water? Uh, tap. <laughs> tap. Uh, T-A-P? T-A-P. You've heard of it. <laughs> yeah. uh, filtered tap. Uh, uh, I use Brita, um, and then we have like a filter in our refrigerator. But if you're at I the store, if you're at the, you're at the store and it's like Smart Water, Fiji Water, bitch ass Crystal guys. <laughs> what do you? What do you? I grab, <laughs> I grab, loyalty. I grab. I just grab whatever is looking appealing at the moment. I don't really have one. You know. I think in my mind Fiji is more expensive. I don't even know if that's true, but it's just what's stuck with it me. It costs a lot more. It does. Okay. Yeah, so I am yeah. okay. I don't know if it was just like a messaging thing that like stuck with me. But yeah, if I'm like stopping at a super or um, a quick stop or whatever, it'll. But I've never seen a Fiji commercial. It's true. I just, have you ever no, seen a Fiji commercial? No, I've not. That's crazy. That's nuts. I've seen smart water commercials. I've seen, I don't know if I've seen bitch ass crystal guys <laughs> commercial. Smart, is smart water Jennifer Aniston? Yeah. Okay. And I believe they're owned by Coke. I could be wrong on that, but I think Dasani I know is Coke for sure. Dasani's, yeah, they're Coke. But smart water is like 50 cent. It was, a, it was off vitamin water, wasn't it? I don't know. But I think it was. And so I, I believe that that's Coca Cola, but. Anyways, it's got electrolytes. It tastes delicious. <laughs> Very smooth taste. Nice. Hashtag ad. Um, so rewinding a little bit in your life, when we started working together and linked up initially, you were working at Gersh. Yes. Which is one of the biggest agencies in the world on True. the entertainment side of things, right? Yeah. Um, how did you start working there? What was that whole situation like? That was crazy. I had been fired from my previous job as an assistant because I was really bad at it, <laughs> which I thought in my 20s, I'm like, my life is over. But for all of you youngins, you're going to get fired at least once. Um, and then I reached out to a friend. So it's a stereotypical story. She's like, there's a job with this guy. He needs an assistant. You should interview. His name was like, I thought he was like ancient based on his name. And so I like read a bunch of scripts that he had for clients of his and got super prepared because I had learned from my mistake, which you have to do. And uh, ended up, he was a young guy, like two years older than me, Whoa. and was an agent in uh, the alternative packaging department. And so and we really hit it off. And, you know, with pretty quickly, I got my legs there. What was alternative packaging? Alternative packaging is the unscripted department there, but also encapsulates digital as well, okay. which was burgeoning, kind of growing back then. So everything that's not like scripts and Tr- things correct. of that Traditional nature. Traditional lit right. and yeah, acting and all that. But we did cover, because agencies and what's great about them is when they're big enough, you're, you're on a team for clients and you're helping people. Huh. So you're helping like a bigger team represent somebody. Um, 
which if you're at the right agency as a talent and you have the right advocate person behind you who's your point person, you can do so much because each agency, I liken it to like a high school, there's cliques. Totally. And you got to make sure if you have your agent needs to know how to navigate the cliques, it's politics. Uh, it's totally politics um, for better or for worse. Um, but yeah, I became an agent relatively quick, um, like a junior agent and a coordinator and then full agent. Uh, I found a script no one was reading that was passed on by all these other uh, talent agencies and I gave it to my boss and he's like, cool, send it to Lit. Like, you know, I trust you. You've read a bunch of stuff, covered a bunch of things. And they ended up meeting with her. They signed her, and then a week later, sold a script of hers with a huge producer attached to Warner Brothers. Whoa! And I didn't know what happened. I didn't sell it. They did, but I had just seen the talent and saw what was there on the page. And I got a call from my boss, and he's like, "You don't understand how much power you actually have. You know, this is you've got an eye, and also you know, feed into what you're doing and focus on that, and like just keep doing what you're doing, which is." My whole business since then to now and going forward is just always to be helpful and back to that whole value thing, like provide value in any exchange that I have. And at the time, I didn't care about being fired. I didn't care about any of that stuff. I just wanted to be really great. And I think a lot of people in the business side of entertainment especially are terrified of like making the wrong move. Totally, yeah, they but are. But it's so freeing to just give zero fucks. Yep, and, you and know, trust I, your gut and go with it. Hundred percent. And yeah. like there was, uh, I mean, there was a lot of stuff that was like crazy and like uh, I'm not sure if it's gonna go right. But just by going with what I believed in, it really helped a lot. Whoa. Yeah. So you sell that script, and then they're just like, "You, what kind of credit did you get for that?" None. As far as <laughs> <laughs> none, because of how the pyramid scheme of the agencies works. Yeah. Um, so you gave it to your boss, or you're the guy who you're assisting for, yeah. right? Uh-huh. And then he gave it to his homie, who gave it to the the guy smoking the cigar upstairs. And then <laughs> yeah. They, no, to my so hierarchy wise, to my boss in alternative packaging, to an agent at his level in, in uh, TV lit, and then a team of TV lit, feature lit, and the alternative department. My boss met with her. Um, they signed her because they all thought she was great, and then it's just hap- It's a timing thing, and it happens all the time because there's waves crashing regularly of uh, uh, needs for like different platforms. But why do you need all those people? Like, are those people? Do you, is the future model of an agency that deep? Like, do you need all those people? Do you need the homie to the homie? And like, it's like A and R's in music almost where. There used to be an A and R job, and now if you're an A and R, you're like you're the A and R, you're the driver, you're the person who's designing stuff. You're doing twenty different things. Yeah, is that the same in an agency setting? It, I don't have experience in the music world, so I might be misspeaking. Um, my music world experience is kind of on the periphery. I know a little bit about it. Um, and study the history of its collapse. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I mean. I'm, yeah. I'm, yeah, I don't. I don't know. I feel like the right ones are necessary and that it's not like a, at least at the agency that I was at at the time it wasn't about like you need to have an okay by this person to get this thing done it's mm. more of like it was a horizontal approach so like my script went up to my boss and then it horizontally went across to other team members that team came together to meet and each team member has their specialty it's like the if it's a proper talent agency representing you, you have the Avengers repping you. Whoa. You've got Hulk doing his job, <laughs> you know. You got, and I have not caught up on the, the Marvel universe, so I know some people are might be gone, maybe. But back in Avengers one, yeah. you know, Hulk, Thor, you've got, um, you know, Iron Man, all that stuff. You have your specialists that are doing their thing, and so her team had an alternative packaging person who's not only looking at unscripted, which she wasn't really in, but like all the other ancillary markets, and that's where I carved my niche was, and how I became an agent was focusing on just digital in the emerging area then she had a TV person and a feature person and maybe people sub people within those teams that cover certain areas of the industry like one agent one focuses on Warner Brothers agent two focuses on Fox and just like that's their sole mission and at a big agency you could specialize like that whereas a smaller shop is more they're more focused on the clients because they have a smaller roster and don't have to be as hyper specialized right Um, but it just depends on where you're at in your career that's bizarre yeah, yeah, but it, I mean, it works. It's like obviously because the content's being made, but there's ways to fix it. To your question of like, is it gonna implode? I do think that mass- <laughs> is it gonna implode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, massive overhead. Like, yeah, the massive, massive overhead. It well, that's what I mean, right? Yeah. So I could take my DSLR 
out in the street with a microphone mm-hmm. and film a movie. Basically, it might not look the best quality, right? But it, it, it's going to be up there now. With technology growing exponentially in the next five years, you're going to be able to do pretty much whatever the fuck you want on a shoestring budget in the coming years. Yeah. You think that's going to get rid of a lot of the agency folks that are just sitting there and, and having lunch at Warner Brothers and specializing in going to lunch at Warner Brothers? And, <laughs> yes. Yes. You know, you know what I mean? The ones not doing their job 100%. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Totally. Those ones are going to go away. The ones that are blocking things from getting done. Yeah, it's the ones you know. I I'm biased about myself, but I like to think that when I was there at the agency, I got stuff done, and that's why I moved so fast mm-hmm. uh, up the ranks, and why you know my network exploded so quick. Because <laughs> I did things; I didn't just sit on stuff. Um, but yeah, the people not doing their job and not providing value are gonna go away because they're not necessary. Because those people at the top are gonna be like, oh, my, my bottom line, it's crazy. I'm going in the red. I need to cut stuff. What can I cut?" Yeah, it's all the people that aren't doing their job. There's gonna be that. so many cuts coming up. There, I mean, in the digital or world, already def- happened probably. Defy right? Defy shut down. Machinima shut down. Like, wow. yeah. So there's, it's a huge, a huge market contraction that's happening. But we didn't really feel it because I think we saw where things were going and have been making sure to build properly. Is that why you left? Why did you leave? If you're sitting there, you're an agent, you're balling, you're driving a Mercedes <laughs> Benz in Beverly Hills. Prius. <laughs> um, you're driving it was, a black thing. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's got murdered 22s out. on it's it. It's murdered out. <laughs> <laughs> but you're, you're doing well for yourself. And Thanks, man. A lot of people would say that that's a milestone in your life where you become agent in a major agency yeah so why are you why'd you dip out to back to the value conversation i saw a gap in the marketplace at the time and i still feel like it's there to a certain extent but there wasn't really solid talent management in the influencer and digital space there's a lot of brothers sisters cousins moms and dads repping that's fine because you could trust them but do they have the the knowledge of how the inner workings of the agencies and how they work, not really. And so they can't be as effective as they could otherwise. Or there was people that didn't have reps, period, because they were terrified of them, because they had either been in the traditional industry and realized that that sucked, or they had no idea and they were super young and scared. So I went and started a company called Moopsy, um, M as in Mary, O-O-P-S-Y, to focus on influencer representation. And it's purposely whimsical because I didn't want to be management 360. (laughs) I didn't want to be three arts. Um, I didn't want to be scary. you know, anonymous content super cool, but anonymous content. You know? <laughs> exactly. Moopsie, what's up? Like, you should have seen the executives when I first left. I'd talk to a meeting and be like, so wait, what is the name of your company? And like, eh, everybody thought you were crazy. Yeah, yeah. they did. Yeah. <laughs> and good. Um, so, so, yeah, so started that and then um, connected with uh, one of the co founders of my company, The Machine. And uh, we rolled Moopsie in that influencer uh, management side of things that we call influencer advocacy into the machine, which is uh, focused on lit and production and advertising and much more, um, yeah. kind of the future of where we see things going. That's so cool. It's there. Yeah. That's yeah. the future, man. And do, what do you think about micro-influencer marketing? Smart. Yeah. Good way for a brand who is new or an executive at a company who is a little nervous about spending to start spending and to try some things. Yeah. Because... When you're on salary at a gigantic company and they, I guess a mid-sized company, because a gigantic company, Coca-Cola could do whatever they want and it's not really going to hurt them. Yeah. But when you're at a mid-sized brand and you're the CMO or you're the advertising person, if you want to go spend a hundred grand on Logan Paul or whatever he charges, you know, you're not Dunkin' Donuts and if it fails, your job's gone. So I think the best way to... Um, hedge that bet is to start in the micro-influencer area and see what works. Yeah. Spend on a few different people in different verticals, but it's more than just the spend. It's the thought that goes into it beforehand and the an- analysis of your market, Yeah, which you know, is a whole other thing. It is. Interesting. Yeah, I think the um, Logan Paul, man, that, that whole thing is nuts. The amount of reach that that dude has, it's too much. <laughs> it's way too much. Yeah, I, I would mean, say if you had the right product for his demographic, it would almost be better to do something with him than do a Super Bowl commercial. Uh, yeah. I mean, it would probably be more beneficial because his demographic probably isn't watching the Super Bowl. And if they are, 
they're just looking at their phone the whole time. Yeah. You know? To, what, five, what, what was it? Was it five million per slot? I think it was somewhere in there, yeah, this year. Yeah, I mean. what You know what you could do with five million? Holy shit. In influencer marketing, you do Woo! Yeah, you could do some Damn. crazy stuff. Yeah. Damn. And I think get much higher reach. I mean, I like <clears throat> Skittles. I think what Skittles did during the Super Bowl is super smart. I what like was it? how they constantly they like, they did a Broadway musical, a one-day engagement with Michael C. Hall starring. What? Yeah. How did I not see that? They did like, it was on <laughs> Super Bowl Sunday, and uh. it was a musical about the advertising industry. Whoa. It's, and it wasn't broadcast. It was just a 1,500-seat theater only that audience got to see it yeah. from what I saw of it. I didn't follow up afterwards, but they released this commercial or like this announcement thing on YouTube beforehand and it's bonkers. There's like a scarecrow in it. Like he's in a therapist. It's just so weird. That's so bizarre. <laughs> yeah, but it's Skittles, man. They did the thing with the, the beard and all that, right? Mm-hmm. I saw Wix did a commercial for mm-hmm. the Super Bowl and I'm kind of on the fence about it. I think it's a great look for them. But I also, goddamn, five million dollars. <laughs> it just makes me salivate with like what you could do with that from a influencer marketing standpoint. It's way more, way more reach. I think going that route because they had to make the commercial too. You know that shit was however much it's money super too. Expensive, yeah. Ah, yeah. It's like here's five million dollars. Yeah. Here's who the audience that we're targeting with our product, like who who they are and what they look like. Their profiles, <laughs> like maybe even their actual Facebook profiles, crazy. Yeah. Um, but like, here's these people, and you know, bringing on experts like yourself to say, okay, well, this is what's culturally relevant to that person. Here's a story that's happening and trending right now, and here's how fast we could churn out something that's going to matter to them, and take a million dollars of it and give it to like a kick-ass filmmaker who's going to make like a really great short-form series that you could also cut together as a feature mm-hmm. that you could then distribute through the different portals that you know we're working with and that we know and have access to, and then take another million dollars and give it to Logan Paul if he's the right person or somebody like him to put out some content, and at the same time take another five hundred grand and go and hit a bunch of uh, micro influencers. One hundred percent. I mean, so many micro. I mean, think about it, right? Like, the people that watch the Super Bowl. They're usually they're old. It's an older demographic. Yeah. It's it's me because I love football. Yeah, but it's an older demographic, and the older people. Yeah, Wix is cool, right? But my mom doesn't know how to use Wix. Yeah. There's no fucking way, dude. <laughs> my dad, there's no way. Yeah, they could get a little bit into it, but there's no way that they're actually going to use Wix. It's for business professionals that are in the what 20 to 35 mm-hmm. maybe 40 yeah demographic oh my god yeah you do so much more with that money <laughs> yeah and i wonder if they're spending on like a podcast or anything right now or i've seen them do pre-roll like the, there's a jay farrow commercial for wix and i only know that because i love his, his impressions and stuff um but yeah i'm curious if they do that that's crazy dude i yeah wix hit me up <laughs> <laughs> So you start the agency, you start the machine, and the first project that you do is FML. Yes. And you get nominated for a Steamy Award. A Streamy, yeah. Or Streamy, sorry. Yeah. Uh, explain what that is so everybody knows what that is. <laughs> for sure. Um, it's a, a digital Emmy in a way. Like it's it's an award it is the for digital Emmy. yeah <laughs> yeah that Dick Clark Productions produces and all that yeah and so we got nominated for best comedy feature and then our cast was nominated for best comedy ensemble. How did that come about? That project? Um, that was one that was actually so I didn't Jerry Maguire Jerry Maguire when I left I just like left the agency talked to my bosses and then called up all my clients was like hey I'm gonna go do this thing if you want to party let's party mm. um, otherwise whatever and then same with projects so, like I wasn't uh, one of the clients there Jason Nash uh, was I hit him up I'd been working on you know putting together this film with them while we were there and we had gotten to like you know let's say the 25 yard line and it was like this last little bit to go or in the fourth quarter and you know it was a conversation of like do you want to keep working on this together and if not like I totally get it because I'm not about stopping people and he's like man like 
we worked on this for like the better part of a year and a half. Like, yeah, like let's finish this thing out. And so like the first thing out the gate was we um we produced that movie and got it made and found the right financier who was looking for features with Vine Stars right at the right time. And uh fantastic, awesome executive named John Baldecki, who did uh the Mexican back in the day, he did the Conan reboot, um, he did uh Point Break reboot. He's worked Whoa. in like he's worked in like the studio system for a very long time and started up and still has this really killer company called Digital Riot Media. And he's like a traditional industry person who is like smart enough and present enough to see like this is changing. And so connected with him and you know got the they financed the thing and we made the movie and it turned out really great. Had a bunch of Jason is like the um Judd Apatow of digital. Yeah. That's, he pretty, always, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, he always yeah. rips on himself for being an old guy with all these young people, but he's Judd Apatow you go watch his first movies and all of them are superstars. Liza Koshy was in this movie. David Dobrik was in this movie. Um, Scotty Sire was in this movie. Like all, Brandon Calvillo was in this movie. Like all of these really big Vine stars that are now big YouTube stars that are just big stars in general were in the film, and they all did a really great job. Wow. Yeah, it was fun. <laughs> it was crazy. That's wild. And that was your first major project. First, yeah, first movie, first producer credit um, outside of the work at the agency, and then um, which you can't be a producer as an agent. Um, and then hours and hours of branded content and short form content with other clients that I EP'd on. Uh, we did another movie. Uh, a client of ours wrote a feature that was like super great and just right for the right time in the market. And it was really exciting working with him on it because. He's like, here's six log lines, and we're like, this one is like hot for the market right now. And he literally wrote the first draft within like seven days, Whoa. and then just like kept rewriting, just like stayed on it, and it just he happened to hit the wave at the right time and catch it. And we found the right financier and, and got it produced. It still hasn't come out yet though, but um, but just that's to like for the creatives listening, like that is key is just catching the wave at the right time. And you can have like a really great idea, but not have the right pieces there to like make it happen. Yeah. And it's just about timing is so important. The only way to catch it is to be there. And this dude like paddled as fast as he could by writing this thing. And it was also really great. He's just a super talented guy. Wow. Yeah. Damn. And going, going to back to FML, when you make that movie, so who distributes that and what, what are the other moving pieces once you have a good idea and you like get this the script done and greenlit? Yeah. You make the movie, you have to what are you involved in at that point? The post production of it, like making sure it's finished out properly. Uh, and then with distribution, it really depends on who's financing your film and what level of film you're making. Mm. Um, if you're talking from like a brand perspective coming into the whole like CVC, short for consumer valued content thing, you have to find the where is your audience and you need to know that ahead of time where you're going with your distribution. Because if you just make something and just like hope it goes, like good luck. Yeah, it's going to get anybody. lost in the sea. But certain studios will have distribution already locked in so then they can put it through their distribution deals. It's um, ideally you know where you're distributing beforehand. Hmm. Before you go out there, uh, but there's a it's changed. Like film has changed a whole lot yeah. in the last few years, in a good and bad way. You what know? are some of the bad things you think that have changed with film? It's just like the money, right? Like you used to be able to get a star and say like, oh, they sell foreign because you know all these foreign markets that will buy yeah. will definitely buy this movie because X star is in it. <laughs> and now it's like nobody really, not nobody goes to the movies. I'm being. I'm exaggerating, but like less people are going. I don't go to the movies. I go to the movies like once every two months, maybe. That's cr- maybe. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. There was one year where all I saw was uh, Monsters University. <laughs> <laughs> so bad. Great movie. Um, but I'm a huge Pixar nerd uh, and Steve Jobs nerd. But, um, but yeah, it's like uh, it's contracted a whole bunch. And you've got the big, huge tent poles, and then you've got like the really small indies, and then the middle has been kind of sucked out. Because you used to be able to go to like a Sundance, and when you're there, definitely going to buy it because we could definitely flip it for more money. Yeah. But if your budget's seven point five million, and you got to put another three five in it or three two five to like market it, you're already at a ten or eleven. And then if the movie makes twelve, you've failed because it's barely a return on the investment for that person pushing the movie out. Right. Um, and that's but, been the model though, right? So mm-hmm. you, the, the major studios, they spend crazy amounts of money on making movies and they kind of count on one or two to blow the fuck up. And they 
make all their money back from those, right? That's yeah. kind of been the model. Yeah, that's why Jason Blum, right? Blumhouse, like they're genius because they do that model, but way smaller. And yeah, they'll just make ten or twelve or whatever. At least in the beginning, it might have changed. But like, they make the purge and all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, but they also made a bunch of movies you haven't heard about, right? You know, right? And then on the low, like on the low budget side of things. Yeah, they, all those movies are pretty low, and then like the first purge like takes off, <sighs> and then that's it. And then like everything Damn. that he invested in, which is great because he's given filmmakers that are young and unproven but are super talented a shot. Whereas you're Disney and you have a huge IP and you've got to spend millions. They spend so much money because they know that in a win, it's make or break. Yeah, and a lose is make or break too. You know, but John Carter, right? <laughs> but um, yeah, you if you win, you win big, and that's why they're not going to do small budget movies because the upside to a small budget movie isn't as big as taking a huge bet. That's interesting, because Disney has a like no pun intended this machine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> where they crank that's out. That's why we did the name because yeah. we want to take it back and make it positive. Right? Yeah, yeah. They they can crank out all this content off of the movie. They can have characters dressed up at Disneyland. They can have all it. It's never ending. When they bought Star Wars, they just pimp pimp Star Wars out. <laughs> it's like, yo, right? yeah, you want an R two D two? Yeah, <laughs> flask. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like what? Hello, yeah. what? That's funny, man. But I think brands could look at that too, and your your product can be merchandise from your movie. I'm not saying you have to have your product in the actual movie so it's merchandise, but a fan buys a Han Solo toy because they want to hold, touch a piece of that world. Yeah. So if you're, and it's also that Han Solo image is synonymous with the brand. And so, like, if your brand is, you know, people, I'm sure they have like Hulu hats and stuff to like give out and that swag. And people will probably buy that stuff too. Like, the right audience with the right, like, you if know, you're like all about Hulu, <laughs> yeah, or yeah. like a Handmaid's Tale shirt or something, you know, yeah. like that's yeah. it becomes that merchandise for your, for your brand and stuff. So, there's a way to do it, I think. And also, just putting cool shit in there. Like, I remember. The was it? It was the second Home Alone movie where he had the talk boy. Oh yeah, I, mean, I wanted one of come those. On. I didn't have one. Come on, yeah, that was amazing. Yeah, or in Goonies, I'm aging myself like a motherfucker right now. In I mean, Goonies, I've never heard of Home Alone. Yeah. Where in Goonies, where uh, the the what was his name? The dude that was locked up in the room that was all deformed. Oh yeah, I can't remember his name. I haven't uh, seen that movie. I don't know where he was eating. Uh, he was eating a candy bar. Yeah, it was a Snickers or a something like that. I can't yeah. remember now, but oh, dude, ET at the time, ET, another example. The Reese's Pieces. Oh my pieces, God, they. Uh, it was supposed to be M and M's, really, but then M and M passed. <laughs> Whoops, dude! I was watching Demolition Man. Do you remember Ooh, that movie? Yeah, dude. That's remember a, the Taco Bell investment <laughs> yeah, in that? It was yeah. like a million dollar Taco yeah. Bell investment in that movie at the time. Yeah, and it was in the future, and they were just like, you don't know how to use the three shells. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dude, that movie's crazy. My dad showed me so many films when I shouldn't have seen them. Really? As a young kid, <laughs> yeah. Well, so growing up, were you influenced by your dad from Con- him showing you stuff? Yeah, or? Star Wars. He showed me that way young, and I was like, this sucks. And then as I got older, I was like, this is actually really good. But I was just a little bit too young for it. Yeah. And then when I got into the age where like George Lucas made it specifically for that age of person, I was like, man, I'm all about it. Why and is then, he kissing that girl? That's yeah, gross. Ew. <laughs> and that's his sister. Yeah. I mean, that is fucking gross. <laughs> later, <laughs> yeah, later on. Uh, and they have the force and they can't tell that there's something. They both are force. Yeah, anyway, midichlorians. God. <laughs> Uh, whole another podcast episode. <laughs> yeah, about dude, I could rant Star for Wars. hours about that crap. <laughs> oh, George yeah. Lucas. Yeah, that movie. The movie's about a new hope is about his experience with the industry, or I'm just putting my experience onto the industry. That's good onto that it. you're even thinking about it that way, because that means that it's a good movie. Yeah, the first one was great, and yeah. his wife saved it in the edit with her editing team. What? Yeah, I'm sorry. I, and I, I'm wait, wait, nerd. no, hold on. So his George Lucas's wife? Yeah, yeah. Did what? She edited the movie. She won an Oscar for it. Shut the fuck up. Yeah, her and her what? editing team. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, they won an Oscar for the movie, and before she edited it, it was just like it wasn't so great. No way. Yeah. Do they have a version of that out? They have cuts, like different scenes, and then they had this guy doing a video essay, like broke down what it was like before. No and way. The structure of the movie before was so bloated and a mess, 
and then they came in and like made it actually ramp up and work. Yeah. But there's all these scenes of like um, uh, Luke ranting to his friends about how he wants to like get out of. The, they just cut a bunch of crap that wasn't needed and wasn't necessary. And that's why the movie was so great because he did he had constraints and he had to work around them. And that's what makes I guess to bring it back to the whole brand stuff. What's exciting about the budget of like four to five million dollars? Take that and make content. <clears throat> it's a constraint. You know, yeah. and the right filmmaker, the right creative is going to excel because of the constraint versus not. And you saw episodes one through three where nobody said no to George Lucas, and they're great for selling toys and they're really great for a lot of other things, but not for their story, I don't think, in no. their structure. No. It's kind of a mess because nobody said no. It was totally a mess. But when your set's blown down by the winds of Tunisia and you're, you have hypertension to the point where the doctor says you're going to die if you keep working and you finish the last month of your movie, if you survive that, something like A New Hope comes out. Yeah. But yeah, um, Darth Vader and Emperor Palpatine are totally agents <laughs> and their assistant. <laughs> you know? Damn. I did not know his wife did the edit that's wild yeah that's wild sometimes you need the outside that's why i really like where we're at right now with marketing with content with movies and everything is because you have those constraints now they used to not be that way you could blow all your money on tom cruise and then all of a sudden you have some shit movie but tom cruise is in it and there's no other movies out so everybody goes and sees it and now there's so many options where you have to make a good product or else it's not going to stand out and i think where where we're sitting and a lot of creatives out there, we can have, to compare the two, we can have the George Lucas's wife viewpoint. George Lucas is never going to make those edits. You know, a brand is always going to have my brand values and we need to, you know, sell our bicycle tires or whatever <laughs> yeah. the fuck they're selling. And they've been doing it a certain way for so long that they're stubborn. And the creatives looking from the outside is like, yo, we could do this, we could put a spin on it and create this whole other universe based off of your product. And people are going to love it. And that's, that's a good comparison, I think, to where we're at right now. Yeah. Is that the outside looking in yeah. in a different viewpoint makes a big difference. Yeah, 100%. And he, he's too close to the story. And like, that's why I think even more that it's totally about his experience with Hollywood and stuff. Um, and he was just so close to it. But it takes that visionary mind, and if in this analogy, like the brand is the visionary, like to get the product to where it is and to hit to provide that value through a product that people love it, and then you know taking that you're too close to it because you've built this thing, letting people in that you can trust that have your best interest as a creator because it's his wife at the time exactly like, didn't survive <laughs> as a couple I guess over time, but like at the time like she wanted it to be amazing because she loved him, and I'm not saying that you're going to go out with your company and go love a bunch of brands. I love you, Wix. <laughs> Yo, Wix, <laughs> Yo, hit me up, hit me back in the DM. <laughs> but you're gonna you're you're gonna take care with it, and you're you're thoughtful, and that's gonna come through in the content. Yeah. And so, you're, so how old were you when you saw Star Wars? I'd have to ask my dad. I don't know. Five or something? Yeah, super, really super young. young. Yeah, I just wasn't into it, man. Not at all. And then, and then it just like came around and I loved it. And then, What about growing up, you think, took you on your path to where you are now? Can you look back and say, oh, my dad showed me all these crazy-ass movies growing up, or was it Demolition Man when you saw this? <laughs> <laughs> when I saw you know, the VR scene. <laughs> exactly. Um, <no. laughs> Oh man, that's a good question. Um, I just love the act of making. Yeah, I love creating things, and I also I don't have a mind that stops. Like it's hard for me to sleep because I'm just constantly like my notes in my iPhone is like a total mess. Just I mean it's organized now with folders, but it's just like so much stuff because it's just like pouring out constantly. And when I found uh, the arts, I think, as I was growing up and just found the joy from that. Yeah. And then as time went on, you know, I got a, a business degree and like have, how can I, I was, until now, you know, I was telling people like in my early days, like I'm trying to find that juxtaposition, like where can I be, where all the different things that I have, that I'm adept at, that I've practiced a bunch, like on the creative, on the business, like what is that? Where is that that meeting point? And it's not being an agent. I found that out over time, um, but I think I'm approaching that now with like what we're doing now. Where 
I want to enable people to be the best that they could possibly be with the knowledge that we have and the skill set that we have. You know, being that Lucas's wife for the creators, for the brands, for all that, I think is that's what's exciting to us and how we can help and why we purposely chose the name The Machine because it totally has a negative connotation. We want to take that back and we want to be the thing that like lifts everybody up, like behind the scenes even too. You know, yeah. Brand A, take your ideas and everything that's beautiful about you, put it into The Machine and on the other end is going to come exactly what you need. Yeah, yeah. I think it's going to be way more people, you know, you're setting a precedent where <clears throat> you being creative and knowing business is such a unique skill right now and I, th I think more creatives need to learn business and more business people need to learn to let go and be creative and walk the line. Because having the knowledge that you have, you can, you can advise on editing. You can advise on, really advise, not just say, oh, that looks like shit, I think we should cut it down. It's like, no, <laughs> the color correction is wrong on this scene. You need to change it. You, need to, you, know, you can go in and, and do very specific things to add value on both sides of the spectrum. Totally. I mean, yeah. That's why we got in the trenches and did all those different roles. Like I've had a at least one attempt at every position on a set, and I have I'm constantly learning new pieces. Like you know, in my hobby time, so like I I can. You're right. Like and that's I think a huge step up, and that's where a lot of the fear comes in. I think from advertising people that or anybody in the business side because they don't know because they haven't been there necessarily. And if you could find as a creative and align yourself with people that actually understand you, even if they don't understand like exactly how, how to set up a C stand, right, you know, right. like if you could find people that understand that you know what you're doing and can help enable you, then like I agree that it's a skill set that I would want everybody that's in the representation business and like people that are on the business side to have. But the truth is, they probably aren't. Not everyone's going to. But if you could find people that believe and trust in you and get out of your way, um, but also keep you. Within your guide rails, yeah. Then you know, we needed to come up with like creative retreats for business people, where everybody just goes and takes mushrooms and gets, <laughs> yeah. and gets crazy and learns to let go. You know? Yeah, because ultimately, that's... sponsored by Adobe Creative Cloud. <laughs> <laughs> this microdose is <laughs> sponsored by Adobe. Yo, Jobs, Jobs talked about that man, like how he. Uh, it's real shit. You don't. You'll, it's real you shit. Will not. His quote, I think, is, "You won't understand me until you've taken LSD." No way. Yeah, I think you said something like, like how I look at the world. Whoa. Um, and again, like just super, I nerd out about things I like. Uh, and yeah, I think it's the, the iPhone creation, at least, he attributed that to like being able to touch and manipulate things with your hands. Whoa. Um, yeah. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah. Well, why he called it Apple, I think, <laughs> is because. Really quickly, briefly. everybody, everybody, make sure you listen to this right, right here. <laughs> when right now. he was in Reed College, just not in school, but like taking classes or whatever, like crashing classes, and was working on an apple orchard. Tree seeds are planted; they're tended to. They grow into trees. They sprout. They're pruned. People then take the apples down. They have an entire army of people, essentially like a team of people, taking the apples off of the tree. Then they're taking they load them into the truck, they clean them, they prepare them, they bring them to the store, and then they're sold. Hmm. It's exactly like Apple products, every single one of them. Whoa. And I think in, back in his garage, it was his garage was the Apple Orchard, it, the product was the Apple One, and they're making it from the boards all the way, making 500 of them, selling them to a shop, just like you know, people that grow apples. Um, but yeah, I'm a nerd for that stuff. So. That's amazing. Um, all right, two more questions. Okay. One's fun and one is more technical. Okay. Um, when you work with clients, and this is just me being selfish from a, from a marketing standpoint, what do you, how do you measure the ROI on content and on advertising? and on is there, is there a platform or is there a way that you've been kind of working on that? Do you mean like... Um, if I'm looking from the advertiser side, like how I'm yeah, like it if I'm the them? advertiser and I'm, um, you know, Taco Bell, and I want to give you money to put out a series or do A B C D, like Instagram posts, any sort of content. Yeah. The biggest question that I've 
come across is everybody's scared because they're all at their corporate job where they need to report numbers to their boss, so they're always asking what the ROI is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, how do you think that's going to be measured in the future or now? Currently, it's I think there's there's growing standards uh, and the to like earlier conversation like KPIs are shifting and changing and there's there's not like a set thing just yet whereas TV if like you hit this much you know lift all the different like buzzwords they don't have that really just yet there's yeah. CPM like the cost per metric and a metric is a thousand views but what does that thousand views equate you know there's direct to consumer brands that will say uh, we need this amount of views here's how much we're gonna pay you and then when you calculate the cost per view the CPV or the CPM, the cost per metric, it comes out to a certain amount. But then we find out that they're actually tracking how many people sign up. Mm. But what they're doing, that brand is saying, okay, if I get a thousand views on average, I get this many signups. Right. If this person costs this much per thousand views, then it makes sense for me and that's my ROI. But that's for a direct and consumer brand because it's really easy. Give me a code. If that code has my audience sign up, then great, I was successful. Yeah. Um, there's websites out there like Social Blade, there's Tubular Labs, there's websites that you could subscribe to that will like pull all the data together. But there's people on the TV side of the business, traditional TV, that their entire job is data analytics. Right. So if you at your company and you don't have a data analytics person, there's got to be some companies out there that like freelance that. Yeah. I would hire somebody. But even like data that. analytics, it's it's used to be TV. There's a big ass television in front of your fucking face. Yeah, yeah. And you're watching it. Mm-hmm. You have to watch it because there's no such thing as cell phones. I think that we've shifted so much where the CPM and um, there's a lot of different terms that are used, but riffing off of what you were saying about people signing up and taking action and how you measure it, I think we're trying to equate the same numbers, and that's where people get it confused with yep. this many views. It's, I'm not. I, that's a scroll. That's like yeah. a you know an interaction. Even a like is. It's a different. It's just different. Yeah, and, and it's it's the dust is kind of settling, but it's not there yet. And I think that's what holds back a lot of companies is that measurement of ROI because they're so scared to bring it to yeah. their boss or whatever yeah. whatever it is. You know. Well, I mean, you're right that in the past, if somebody was watching Friday night television, that was the one spot to watch. TGIF, it. You yeah. Mean? yeah. <laughs> and if you didn't watch it, we're dating ourselves. Yeah. If you didn't watch it, then you weren't able to talk about it in the water cooler like that. All that stuff at job at your work the next uh, Monday. And then they could go and look at a store and could look at their sales and say, oh, like we could equate to this immediately. But you're right, Instagram, Facebook, it's all over the place. And I think it's, it's going to take the industry maturing on understanding what things actually mean. But then they're going to shift. Because yeah. like you said, like on Facebook, those views are scrolls. Because if I scroll by, it counts as a view. Which is crazy. Which is not watching Friends and TGIF or whatever back in the day. Like yeah. You're sitting there, captive audience through the entire thing. And I think like what brands and advertisers, I don't know if they understand now, and I think they will eventually, is that their brand dollars, the upfronts, have subsidized Hollywood for decades. It's time to take that money and the distribution that's available now and do it for yourself. Mm-hmm. And like that's that's going to be the metric. It's like how many people watch my show, how many people actually like are part of my club or whatever it is that like they sign up for. And yeah. there's all sorts of cool, unique ways to um, to use the different tools that are out there now in a non creepy way, non invasive way to to access your audience. But it, I don't. There's no one. Solved just yet, and so and for me to your question, I'm kind of rambling on to your question. With our clients, they have a certain amount of slots of advertising available because otherwise their audience is going to get super angry with them. Because why are you shilling me the stuff? I want your content. I want what's valuable. If they're doing it right, they're even making their advertising slots super valuable to their audience, and that's what we pride ourselves on with our clients. But you know, certain audiences don't care. Like you said, they're smart. Regardless, they're going to get upset if you do too much. So they have certain slots to do it in. There's a certain value to that. Uh, and then what we've started doing now is talking to the ad agency and the brand themselves. Like, what is your actual KPI? Like, you don't have to keep that from us. Mm-hmm. We want to help you do better um, for your people when you're reporting back. So if you're a brand new brand, you might want to find out if you're working with a boss who has no idea what's going on. <laughs> 
yeah. it's an uphill battle. Yeah. Um, spend very frugally and show the numbers that you did on a little bit and like uh, that you did on a little bit of money and then extrapolate it out so you can see what it could be, maybe mm-hmm. case study wise. And if you're working with somebody who's like wanting to experiment and just wants to reach, then there's you know the Logan Pauls of the world are out there. I'm not like we keep using him, but there's like huge Liza Koshy is another huge one. You know, people with huge engaged fan bases. I think engagement's key. Yeah, like, absolutely. If someone's double tapping on the screen, they're physically making a movement. If they're liking, if they're commenting, if they're sharing, like I feel like shares should be like a huge, huge, huge KPI, right? That's because the ultimate. The ultimate thing that you want. Yeah, it's like earned earned media, I guess, is the word, right? Like yeah. that's what they. I think that's the buzzword. It, earned media, I think, is key, because, like you said, a new platform is going to come and is going to replace somebody. What's always going to be there is share. Yeah, inter- always interaction with your product. Yeah, and well, share 100%. needs is there to continue to keep the, the platform relevant. That's why there's share, because it's like, oh, you don't have to make content. You can just share this other content. And then you know your your friends are going to see this, and so shares. There's a share button on every single platform. That's the one thing that's uniform across everything. Yeah. So I feel like that would be a good one to start with if your boss is brand new. Yeah. And I think you could get that if you're like a person who doesn't know the internet. If you're your mom or my dad or doesn't understand the yeah. internet. Well, the numbers are just so much lower where it used mm, to be. It's true. A hundred million, thousand, billion, billion people are going to see it, and and now it's you know we had thirty-seven people that. Shared it, but then that share turns in. You know what I mean? How do you measure that? Because that's yeah, a, a spider web yep. of content sharing. Yeah, and, and that's where influencers come in. Those influencers right, are right. sharing. If they're sharing your stuff, like their spider web is so much bigger than like a normal person that's not an influencer. But also, I think the way to, at least I would attempt if I was that person in that position, is to say, yeah, on TV it's those millions of views, but. When they watch TV, we couldn't be, we didn't have microphones in the water cooler, like hearing them say, Hey, friend, you should watch this show I just watched. Totally, yeah. You know, you could literally, here's the numbers. Here are the people that saw the thing, and here's how many people shared it because they thought it was really great. Yeah. But it's kind of creepy. <laughs> kind of, well, they're not going to have a microphone, but like, <laughs> I guess it's anonymized, right? When you're on the back end of Facebook and stuff, you see how many shares happen. We think it is. It's not. Oh, man. It's not. Dude, yeah. it's so bad. I was thinking about this the other day. <laughs> I got to read through the Google user end user agreement because do they own like everything we've ever emailed somebody? Uh, probably. <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure they just own us. <laughs> There's really no, I am Google. I'm part of Google. <laughs> I, <laughs> it's like Groot. <laughs> I, I am Google. I am Google. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, yeah. Okay. So I'm scared now. Great. Thanks. It's fine. Okay. They're a very colorful company. They, they are. They have great, got good colors. Great logo. Yeah. And they do different logos sometimes, like the different Google, the Google Doodles. Yeah, nice. Well done. <laughs> uh, last question: What app would you recommend that people download for their phone? Ooh, what's your favorite or newly favorite app? Uh, I would say there's a lot of different apps that I use for different like purposes, right? So I, but I'd say Headspace. Hmm. Changed things for me because I'd never really meditated before. It wasn't something that I ever did. Um, and I'd read like Zen and the Art of Archery at one point. So, like, I understood like a little bit of like the westernized version of like Buddhism and how that kind of, you know, the how that works. But Headspace has been a really easy way to start a practice of, of meditating. And it costs money per year. Like, you could sign up monthly or sign up for the year. Um, and they do a discount phase at the end of every year. So if you want to wait, <laughs> um, tight. Yeah, but it's uh, it's really cool. And when I, it really has helped me stay focused and present in my life. So Headspace, and it's got cool, cute animations. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Dude. How about you, man? What, what are you using? Uh, app wise, um, I've used Headspace before. I usually just meditate without an app. Okay. I'm just on my own. Um, but uh, I always find it distracting when I'm listening to um, the British dude. Now, well, there's yeah, taking there, your breath. There's multiple things that distract me. Focus I, on I'm the focused breathing. on like the recording quality of the audio because oh, you're a <laughs> music expert. Yeah. yeah, that's right. What key the music is in? If it's like. Uh, <laughs> 
just all that shit. I'm just why I'm is just this minor? There, why is this in a minor key? I'm just yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm sitting there thinking, why the fuck are they using a the little tinkle sound right there? Just threw me off of my meditation. Yeah. I would have used, and then I'm thinking about music. Yeah, it's like oh, I, see, you got it. Then you got a note, and then you got to come back. They need headspace for musicians. Yeah, right. <laughs> Don't listen. It's just like dead silence. <laughs> like that silence is an interesting pitch. Yeah. Um, cool, man. Yeah, man. Well, thanks for coming by. No problem. Thanks for having me to the, the space, man. Absolutely. Hey, thank you for listening, everyone. You can check out Kevin and The Machine online at themachine.la. If you have any feedback on this episode, you could holler at your boy on Instagram at supertightco and also supertight.co on the website tip. This has been the Super Tight Podcast. I will catch y'all in the next episode.